Okay, this little guy is, is anybody actually listening to these recordings? Apparently not, or we've been known to. <laughs> well, clearly I'm not, but the, there's nothing I hate listening to more than me. Anybody like that, where you hear your own voice and it just, it's yeah. like chalk on a... Well, yeah, it's, it's bad. Yeah, so you, so you are like that. Okay, so I'm, I may be off, I may be weird, but I'm not the only one. And that's all that counts, is I can be totally crazy and insane as long as I'm not the only. There are different levels of weirdness. Well, I, weirdness. I'm not weird. I'm gifted. I have a keychain given to me by my daughter, which says that. That was a birthday present about a long time ago. What? I'm not weird. I'm gifted. Somehow she felt I needed to carry that around to be able to show people. <laughs> it's kind of like a certain TV guy going, no, I'm not crazy. They had me tested. Um, okay. Clearly, we should start by praying together. Father, thank you for bringing us together. <laughs> our, our, the makeup of our group, Lord, is uh, fluid. And that means there's others perhaps listening or or somewhere else, doing something else. We just pray that you'd be with them, that you would strengthen them, take care of them, draw them close to you, and uh, help all of us, Lord, to be able to converge our minds on what we're reading and studying. Um, give us the ability, Lord, to understand. Give us the ability to respond to the message that you've given us in the Revelation, and to be faithful in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So... Well, now I don't know which one you're last asking for because they all messed me up. Well, you handed out the last two. 16 through 21, but we're still working on the one before that. Yeah, well, it was 17 to 21. 17, yeah. So you're, you're still messing with my head here. Well, I'm sorry. My memory isn't perfect. Well, it's apparently more perfect than mine. So when you said that, I'm actually giving it credence, and now I'm questioning myself. Sure feels like I said that two weeks ago. I probably did. We just didn't do it. No, it was because I was sleeping and dreaming. <laughs> I wrapped it all up in my dreams. Like I said, you guys just need to learn to be where my head is. <laughs> and someday, dangerous as it sounds, that, that could help. All right. <clears throat> so, 11.1. Now, in order to contextualize, since clearly this has been a little while, What's been happening? Before this point, what's going on? Okay, we've got six seals open. And we've got the seventh seal. It's not open. It's, it's silent. <clears throat> and then we've got trumpets. Right? And yeah, and, and that's kind of what's being announced is terror. Um, the devils, the abyss, all of those things. Um, the woes that unfold. And then there's a bit of an interlude. Some people would carry this through verse 14 of 11 rather than 
uh, where we apparently stopped at the end of 10. Is that what we're saying? That it was the end of 10 or the beginning of 10? What do you think? This is like a cafeteria or something? Okay. So I'm going to go back to the paragraph before the, the beginning for context. And then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again, speaking with me and saying, Go take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. So I took the little book out of the angel's hand, and I ate it. And in my mouth it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, You must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Now, remember, by the way, who's receiving this? No? no? Well, John's writing this down. So, who's receiving what we call the revelation? We're receiving. Well, we, but first. The Jews. Or the no. Christians. The Christians. We're who? The Christians. And who are the Christians? A quick, quick background. Remember, we're 95 to 100 AD. He's in Asia Minor. Romans? What? Romans? There are Roman Christians there. There are Greek Christians there. There are Jewish Christians, many nations, many kings. You get it? You hear it? Because there, there's something being said here. That, that this is global. This is universal. This isn't one group of people or the followers of one God. And to the pagans, that's very important. So to the new Christians, it's a reinforcement. Our God is not just one of them. This is for everybody. Now, Verse 11, Then there was given me a measuring rod like a staff, and someone said, Get up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Leave out the court which is outside the temple. Do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations, and they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. Holy city is what? Jerusalem. And the temple is in Jerusalem. Now, What's the problem with that if you're John and you're literal? Yeah, the, both the temple and Jerusalem were leveled 25 years ago. They don't exist. This is the vision, though. And John had, had grown up, uh, certainly not seeing the temple all the time because he was in Galilee, but grown up going to Passover, going to the temple, making sacrifices, you know, making that trip. And so he knew very well what was being described and what the holy city was. So you can imagine John, who's receiving this vision and this collision of what he's seeing and receiving and his memories. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, Clothed in sackcloth. What's another word for sackcloth? Burlap. Burlap. Um, that's something that you did not do for style or comfort. It was a, a sign of repentance or uh, of mourning. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone wants to harm them, 
fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. These have the power to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. In other words, they've been given a lot of power. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which mystically is called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. Now, what, what, mystically, what does that mean? Spiritually. What does that mean? Okay. Describing a non-physical or metaphysical dimension. Okay. Which it is safe to say is pretty much a description of all of what we're hearing. Pretty much. Okay. So, again, this is a vision. This is Jerusalem. It is not Sodom. Right? So, and, and certainly Sodom is not Egypt. And Jesus was crucified where? All right, in Jerusalem. So literally, it makes no sense. But spiritually, what does Sodom and Egypt and Jerusalem, the day of the crucifixion of Jesus, have in common? And what led to the destruction? No, that's what accomplished it, but what led to their destruction? What le no, that's actually the opposite. I'm fishing for something. Let's go to Sodom. What led to Sodom's destruction? Sin. Just flat out, plain old sin. Because you're not going to find the same sin in those three different. But they were all known to the Christians. Now, Sodom and Egypt were known as centers of sin to the Jews. But to the Christians, so was Jerusalem. Why? Because that's where the Lord was crucified. That's where these people stood and screamed out for the blood of Jesus, the Messiah. And you know, what happened in Sodom that was worse than that? So for Christians, the symbolism adding Jerusalem to these symbolic centers of sin, it fits. Other people probably wouldn't get it. Those from the people and tribes and tongues and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days, there meaning the prophets, and will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. <coughs> Excuse me. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate, and they will send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. How did they torment them? By pointing out their sinful yeah. nature. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it is possible, I suppose, that they actually did some of the plague things that they were given the power to do, we don't actually have that recorded in the vision. The vision simply emphasizes the prophecy. So the, the, the prophecy, what does prophecy mean, by the way? I don't even remember. Nevertheless, you're almost there. 
What'd you say? Fourth tell. What's the difference between foretell and fourth tell? Okay, so forth telling is simply delivering the message God has given to be told. In, in essence, uh, becoming an angelic messenger. Not, not in the description of the species, but in the description of the function. Whereas foretelling is what? Predicting. 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 Literally predicting, pre-speaking, meaning talking about the future. Prophecy can include talking, excuse me, talking about the future, but prophecy does not always center on the future. In fact, more often than not, prophecy centers on the past and the present. You have done these things. You know better than that. You have said you won't. You've, you've agreed to the covenant all of the time of the Old Testament. The prophet's calling Israel back because they're breaking the covenant. God is doing this to get your attention. That's why this is happening. It's all about the future. And then there would be some. Now, if you don't repent, then this is going to happen. But the fourth telling, the, the greatest prophet, this is a little bit of a trick question, but not much. Who is the greatest prophet ever? Jesus wasn't a prophet. But who said that? John the Baptist. Yes. Now, here's the trick, is that tradition puts Elijah there. But Jesus said no one was greater than John. So we have to go with his judgment on that, right? John virtually never spoke of the future. John's prophesying was almost exclusively, you're doing this. You need to stop. If he saw a soldier, you're, don't extort people, because that's what the, the soldiers were doing. The king, stop committing adultery. To say that to the king, who has the power and ended up cutting his head off, and yet that didn't matter. John's job was prophesying. So when we hear about them prophesying and we hear about them tormenting these people, um, it, it's, it's got to be a part, at least, of what they were prophesying is you're sinning you need to repent and to someone who doesn't want to be told they're sinning and who doesn't want to repent that's torment if you don't believe it go try that with people around here see what happens okay verse 11 but after three and a half days the breath of life from God came into them. Uh, yeah. Uh, anybody happen to see what or look up or hear another word for breath? Some translations actually say this. Most don't. See, another translation of breath is spirit. Same word. The reason it's usually translated breath here is because of the tradition that when God created Adam and Eve, he breathed life into them. Even that, by the way, could be he gave them his spirit. And it, it is the spirit of God that causes life. Perhaps both are accurate. So the breath of life 
from God came into them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell upon those who were watching them because there had been these corpses for three and a half days. I'm pretty sure I'd be freaked out too. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up into heaven in the cloud and their enemies watched them. And in that hour there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Um, by the way, just a brief thing, again, talking about imagery and how easily we translate imagery into doctrine or even dogma. Doctrine and dogma. Do you know these words? You've heard them, right? Do you know the difference? Doctrine simply means teaching. It's from the Latin, and it simply means that which is taught. Dogma means this is mandatory to believe. Hence, dogmatic is, no, you will believe this. This is, you know. And dogmatic is actually used today for somebody who simply holds opinions strong. But that's not what it means. What it means is you have to believe this. So, for example, in the Roman church, they have doctrine, which if you're a good Catholic, you will believe. But they have dogma, which if you don't believe and some, somebody finds out, if you say that's not real, that's not true, you can be denied any of the um, uh, sacraments, any of them, all of them, because you have to believe that, okay? Mm -hmm. Is that the, the, the Christians were saved and they were, or these just people said, oh, we better do it now? And, well, where does it say praising God? Ah, is giving glory the same as praising? Yeah. It's two different things. They can overlap, certainly. But I can give glory... This is hard for, it's hard for me to explain and it's hard for us to understand because we are monotheistic and, and we have this, a tradition of thousands of years of monotheism. We, we believe in one God. Correct? That's a, that's a good answer. Um, even, even the major uh, world faiths around us believe in one God. Fastest growing religion in the world today is Islam. Islam is an offshoot of Judaism through Christianity. Islam. All monotheistic. These people come from a tradition where they believe in more than one God. So idolatry to them is not figurative. Greed is idolatrous. Lust is idolatry. Um, uh, desire for power is idolatry, which is true. But for them, it was also literal. They literally had idols, statues, that they worshipped as gods. And so to give glory to one was simply to recognize, wow, that one did something. It's like, if I'm going to give glory to a old college football team, anybody want to guess which one it would be? See, your guessing is very poor. But on the other hand, 
I can say, wow, that was really good. These guys were amazing. Because I'm simply recognizing what they did. When um, uh, the Persian king, Esther's husband. There, there's a little debate, Xerxes or Artaxerxes, so I, I hesitated, frankly, but it, it doesn't matter. It's one or the other. Um, when that king saw God's power, he proclaimed that everyone in the kingdom had to give glory. Why? He did not become a convert to Judaism. He still worshipped all of the Persian gods. He wasn't praising God the way we think of praising God. He was saying, okay, he's got the upper hand right now, so let's not get on his bad side. Yeah, literally. And you see that throughout the Old Testament when the pagans would respond to what God did. But very few of them actually became Jews who recognized that Yahweh is the only real God. The, the rest of them are, are fiction. Okay. Um, it depends on how you define the same God. It's, it's kind of a trick question. Uh, there is only one God, therefore, if they worship God in any form whatsoever, of course they do. But they have a very warped understanding of God, in our opinion. Uh, what? Yeah, well, and, and let's be real. Uh, I suspect our version in here is different. I know on Sunday morning it's different. You know, you guys have heard me pounding on the fact that God is a God of compassion and mercy. And if you haven't picked up on it yet, that is basically the theme of our current series. Here's, here's a little ahead of time. Why did Jonah run? Edmund said he wasn't afraid. He wasn't lazy. He wasn't scared. Yeah, he, well, why? Because he knew God would. See, our, our understanding of God often is this God who is, who is just, he's judge. That's it. He's angry. He's, he's judge. He sees all the things going on in the world that we see and therefore brings earthquakes and hurricanes and fires and he's judging us. No, he's not. Trust me, you don't have to debate whether he's judging when he judges. It will be known from the east to the west according to scripture. He's, he's, his judgment is far more horrible than anything we've seen in the last month. Far more. But we have different pictures of God. The, the Muslims have a radically different picture of God because they believe in the inspiration of the document uh, known as the Quran. Uh, by the way, they also believe in the inspiration of what we call the Bible. But they believe we have perverted it. That's their way around the part they don't like, which puts Jesus as... God in the flesh, John 1. No, those parts aren't. The other parts are inspired. They're from God, but not those parts. See? The Quran refers to us as people of the book. And we're to be honored. And sometimes tortured and killed, but, you know. Well, we're infidels because we don't believe in what they believe. We do not believe in the basic statement there is one God, Allah, 
and Muhammad is his prophet. That sums up all of Islam. If you convert to, to uh, Islam, in any Islamic court, you must go before an Islamic judge and say that before witnesses. That's your profession of faith. You don't have to believe the rest of it because they differ on the rest of it. That's why they kill more of each other than they do non-Muslims. You know, we think they're all about killing Christians and so forth. No. Compared to how many other Muslims they're killing, the Christians have it easy. But there is that unity in that one statement. There is one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. Notice, not a. There are a prophets, other lower P prophets. And Jesus was one of the greatest of them. But not on a par with Muhammad. Oh, way under, way under. Yeah. And therefore, we who do not believe that, infidel is Latin for unbelieving. So we are infidel. Makes sense, right? All right. The seventh trumpet comes, 15. And then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders, remember them, by the way, from the throne room? Okay. The 24 elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. That last phrase, by the way, should probably shape people today. Um, here's a few points. Saints are, that would be us, okay? Um, the dead to be judged. So yes, there is a judgment after. O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were. Does that sound awkward to anybody? Well, except this is Greek. There is a Greek word, pantokrator, uh, krator, excuse me, um, which is basically a literal Greek translation of Elohim, the Almighty. Elohim, the, the Hebrew Elohim, is plural. So traditionally in the Old Testament, um, let us make man in our image. Remember that one? Hold on. Okay. So it's an emphasis. The singular could be God, small g, but the plural in the, in the Hebrew would be the plural. And it, it's not about the Trinity, it's about being more powerful than all the others. But in the Greek, the Almighty is the operative term here. Um, bond servants, prophets, all of these are, are to be rewarded. 
And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. Where, where, by the way, would be the hailstorm? Yeah. There are those who read this, not many, I don't know any commentators would say it, but when you read it, it can almost sound like he's saying all of that's happening in heaven, because the temple's in heaven, right? Now, the temple has been moved to heaven. No, no. There's no going down. It doesn't say it went down. And that's going to be a pretty important thing in about, what chapter are we on? <laughs> oh, ten more chapters. So just tuck away in your heads. There's going to be a question and about two more study guides. And this passage is very key to the answer. The temple that was on the earth was 100% always a copy. What was it a copy of? Well, even that's a little tricky. The temple was God's dwelling place, right? What's God's dwelling place? Yeah, we call it heaven. Now, good luck finding a good technical description or delineation of heaven. Because we look at it and we want to consider it a place. It's not a place. Is it a state of being? Well, yeah. But it's more than that, too. Is God truly up there in the clouds? I mean, the, the, the prophets went up in the clouds. Jesus went up in the clouds. Why, why'd that be? Why would the prophets go in the clouds? Well, where else are they going to go? They could just teleport, I suppose, but nobody would have understood what that meant. Um, spiritually, Jesus did that. Physically, when you read Matthew 28, he ascended into the clouds. Because you got to put him somewhere. You know? I believe, by the way, he literally, and I, I, don't, I think this is part of a vision, remember. It's a little different. But he literally rose into the clouds. I think that's what they saw happen. Is Jesus lurking in the clouds? <laughs> I mean, does anybody really believe that? But the, the, the teaching of the tri-level uh, tri universe, heaven up, earth here, and Hades, because we have hell because we have the teaching about the judgment. They didn't have that yet. So Sheol, for the Hebrews, Hades, the place of the dead, wasn't quite the same as our hell. And it was down. And by the way, the Greeks, the Romans, they all had this concept because everybody knew um, that dead people weren't here anymore. And everybody knew they didn't look good. And in fact, most places buried them. See? Down. So this is where we get this. Even today, I've actually had people critique me and my faith because I believe in a literal, I mean, what's the matter? Do you think Jesus is, is up there waiting for the astronauts? You know, how come the astronauts haven't seen Jesus? I've literally had that said to me. And you want to look at them and yeah, it's just like, I'm saying, wow. <laughs> they didn't get what the wow was about, but we, we just got to be careful because remember, there's imagery upon imagery upon imagery. 
nobody is, is I think, teaching the tri-level universe through that. All right. Chapter 12. Okay, here we go. Yeah. So chapter 12, there was a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars, and she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. And behold, a great dragon, excuse me, a great red dragon, having seven heads, ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. What's a diadem? Yeah, it's kind of crown. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Okay, who's the bad guy? Yeah, red dragon, bad guy. Okay, now if you've got a New American Standard, they label these. That is interpretation. I don't necessarily disagree with their interpretation, but it is not scripture. So you see, um, if you've got a New American Standard, you see the woman, comma Israel. Do you see that heading? How many of you have that heading? If you're seeing it, okay. The cheap New American Standards that we give out, they don't necessarily have that because they're cheap. Um, and then uh, verse 3 and 4, the red dragon, comma, Satan. All right. That, again, is interpretation. Now, I don't know that it's a bad interpretation, but nevertheless, that's not Scripture. Verse 5, And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God, so that there she should be nourished, she would be nourished for 1,260 days. So, who do you suppose the male child is? Well, it does not say. That's hence, who do you suppose? And the New American Standard translators agree with you, because that's what they say right at the top there. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil, and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now we know who the dragon is. Okay? Devil and Satan. Two people or one? Uh, people. Creatures? Creature is a good word, by the way. One, one creature. Yeah. Do, do you understand creature? What does creature literally mean? Created. Created. All things were created except God. That means God created him, and that means he's not as great as God. So, so much for, you know, the good one and the bad one and the light side and the dark side. and That's not what's happening here. Now, the salvation... Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, do, 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 do. He was, 
I'll pick it up with nine. The great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. Um, by the way, that's a play on word because um, devil means deceiver. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And then I heard a, law, a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. What word is Christ? If you're a Jew, Messiah, just, just to give it a power, because we hear that word, and it's got a power, and it should have. And Christ, we see almost as a last name. His, his Christ, his Messiah, his anointed have come, for the accuser of our brethren have been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. Um, the, the other word, by the way, is uh, Satan. Um, actually, Diavolos is deceiver and accuser. Satan, enemy. So we're hearing names or labels, titles. Same, same person. But we forget sometimes that these are descriptions. They overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason... Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. So what we've seen here can be a literal or can be a figurative description of the fall of the one that we call Satan and those who serve him, those who have chosen to rebel against God. Uh, when did it happen? It doesn't say. Exactly how did it happen? It doesn't say. How did he get defeated? It does say. God's power. It happened with the Messiah on the throne, with the Messiah being caught up into heaven. Now there are those who say, see, that happened actually after the resurrection then. Except clearly, Satan was, if not consigned to earth, certainly assigned. Anybody want to take a guess why I, I hedge on consigned to earth? You ever heard it said that evil cannot stand in the presence, it can't even exist in the presence of God. So Satan can't even, he can't, he's banished from the presence of God. Only one problem. Anybody remember the problem? Job. More to the point, Job 1, where Satan comes before the throne of God after creation, after humanity, and starts talking about Job. And, and, and God says, hey, have you seen Job? Hence the unfolding of that whole saga of Job. So beware of trying to be too technical, too, if I can use the term, Western. We tend to be very Western in our view of events, even of history itself. Easterners do not view history the way we do. It's not near as important to people in the Middle East, for example, explicitly Hebrew. Not only in the ancient days, but in those who, who maintain the traditions, it's still true, culturally, to be as technically accurate 
as it is to be generally accurate to the theme and, and to the big points. Because we can be very technically accurate and miss the point. And they can be technically, in our minds, inaccurate. In their minds, it's not they're inaccurate, and they're not even trying. But nail the point. Is that making sense? Well, Genesis actually identifies him that way. So, so I, I. Well, he was here at least with Adam and Eve. Yeah. At that time. Yeah. Now, how did he get here? How did he get here? He was uh, signed. He is a creature. Under whose authority is he? God. So now we don't know the details of how he got here. Again, there are those who think we just read a general description of it. Yeah. Okay, but we still don't know the details. We don't know when that happened. happened. You know, what we do know is he's a creature. Creation is under God's authority, and and we sort of forget that. So if Satan is doing something, at the very least, he is doing it with God's permission. Knowledge. Uh, definitely knowledge. But I'll go with permission because God has an absolute ability to stop it. And then we get to, well, why then does God allow it? And we get back to that Satan in the garden and Genesis and sin. And we don't like the answer, but there it is. The answer is very unpleasant for us because it falls back on our shoulders. Making sense? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you this one more time because it's important are, are you guys getting the difference between the Western view of, even of history and the Eastern or Middle Eastern view? It would be like an artist. You, you, you'll hear a pianist play. And those who play with great technical skill can often be criticized for not having warmth in their performance. They are very technical. They have it down. They will not miss a note. Everything is there. It is pinpoint accurate. But it has no heart in it. It has a, the beauty isn't the same for those who don't who don't practice to the point of technically getting everything right and yet still express the fullness of the music. And if you if you've ever heard computer generated music and then immediately listen, because if I hear computer generated music, I've heard it, I can't tell. But then if they stop, you don't play a long part, they play maybe three or four minutes, and then they stop and they play exactly the same piece by a master. I can tell. Because that person is, is making small changes and expressing uh, herself through the music. Which is the, better, which is the bigger concept of what the music is supposed In to be. In the world of art. Yes. Because there are people who would argue with that. But and they're, they're usually, by the way, engineers. Sorry if any of you are listening and you're an engineer. But in, in sight of the, what you're trying to get at with the Eastern, um, more loyal to concept and the Western loyal to detail. Yeah. The, to yeah. I, would, I would say with Western, it's almost obsessed. Yeah. 
And there's a, and there's a good thing to that. I mean, the, the technology development that came out of that could not happen approximating things, you know. Um, but when you apply that to the human realm, it's not always, even in medicine, by the way, it's not always mechanical. So we, we need to back off some when we read a document like this or the, when I taught Genesis, this is one of those themes that kept coming up. Um, because if you look at the history of it, you can find some problems unless you understand what the text itself is saying it's saying. Because it's quite accurate to what it claims to be saying. And it does not claim to be listing every human being who ever existed from Adam all the way through to the 12 tribes, the, the 12 sons. Well, I'm thinking of that particular book, see? So it's never intending to do that. But because of our Western mindset, we want to read that back. That's how years ago a guy named Usher decided that the world uh, began in, in 4004 BC. And it, it is so ethnocentric and egocentric, it's ludicrous. But people still buy into it. So, okay. So, picking up in verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. By the way, who do you suppose the woman is? Now, literally, Mary, but New American Standard disagrees with you. Israel. Israel. Remember that the woman, that Israel is always seen biblically as a woman because she is the bride of Yahweh. Read, read Hosea. Amazing book. Edmund referred to it Sunday morning. Um, because the prophet is told, go marry a prostitute so that Israel can see what it's like for me to be married to them. And he did. And he lived his whole life as a prophecy to show Israel what they were doing with God. And it's pretty ugly. And, and that God all the time was still begging Israel to come back. As, uh, and I always get a kick out of Gomer. My generation, when you think Gomer, what do you think of? Thank you. I'm sorry you do. Jim Neighbors is there. Golly! And I've got this picture of Hosea with Jim Neighbors, and it just doesn't work. All right. When the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman, so now Israel, who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place, where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Did you get that? Time and times and then half a time. And, and in this art form, it flows beautifully. But to the Western mind, which thinks, yeah, what, what is that? And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Who might that be? Yeah. This is John. This is the last of the apostles. This is post, uh, not only resurrection, it's post-destruction of Israel. So you just, for, for them, 
I guarantee you the first thing they heard, and this is for millennia been agreed until about 200 years ago, if the woman is Israel, she's chased out into the wilderness. What is that? Well, was Israel not chased out into the wilderness? Because in their minds, wilderness was anything but Israel. Israel was overrun. Jerusalem was leveled. And frankly, those who were not chased out, a large portion, were slaughtered by the Romans. They had had enough. Israel was just constantly rebellious. And they finally just came in and did it. But they couldn't be totally destroyed. They could not be washed off the face of the earth. They, in fact, once you have this remnant in, uh, throughout the Mediterranean, they grew. And there was more and more of them. And so he turns to her children. The church is presented as the child of Israel. And I know it's the church because it says that it is the ones, what is the phrase? Sorry, I already went, went past. Here we go. In the last of, uh, of 17, it is who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. That does not describe Israel anymore, at least not the majority. It describes the church. But the church came from Israel. We need to remember that. Our roots are the synagogue. There's, there's historical connection even to the, the, the way we tend to see the word church. If you go to a synagogue, are you going to a place? Yeah, but we also have what people call churches, and they're not. But in this case, yes, they are. Because it means the, the gathering together place. That's what synagogue means. So we kind of modeled after that. And our congregation is modeled after the synagogue. There would be, by the way, in the ancient times, a synagogue in a city. If there were multiple synagogues, it was scandal. And they would actually uh, try to find rabbis who were well-respected from other places to come and mediate to bring back the unity. Because Israel couldn't afford to be in disunity. The church was the same. There would be a church in Jerusalem, a church in Ephesus, a church even in Rome. And yes, there were plenty of different groups of people gathering and worshiping, but all of them recognized they were part of a church in Rome or the church in Rome because the church period we're just the ones in Rome there was not the disunity that we experience so we've even we've even modeled after their disunity verse uh, chapter 13 the dragon has turned his attention to the other children the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore and then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, which we've said before are crowns, and on his heads were blasphemous names. So do you get the idea this is a good guy or a bad guy? Yes. Blasphemous names, by the way, is the reason you know that. So far, it, this could be one of those 
weird monstrous creatures God has created, but no, not with a blasphemy. So now this is, now this is evil. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. One of his heads, as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole world, whole earth, was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who's like the beast, and who's able to wage war with him? And there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. So again, the, the reality of the temple, the tabernacle, is heaven. And that's recognized here in their blaspheming. Now I'm going to ask you a trick question. Who is the beast? Satan. Nope. Bari said the dragon's Satan, and the dragon gave his power and authority to the beast. But it doesn't mean he became the beast. He's still the dragon. Definitely, uh, shall we call him a colleague? Um, uh, it, it is somebody subservient to Satan. Was Satan capable of creating this, this beast? Possibly, but only if God allowed him. Because all things are created. Yes. Except God. I'm pretty sure you created some people. Well, I had a little help. Well, you did. But the, the, the help I'm referring to was God. See? I mean, seriously, you ask that question. Are we capable of creating another creature? And the answer is? Only by God's will. Well, nevertheless. But we are. Yes. So is, K is Satan? I don't know. It doesn't say. God would allow Satan. But it was only if God allowed. But then everything else here is only if God allows. Could it be one of the angels that was cast out with Satan? Possibly. So yeah. So what, what, what? Who said that? Yeah, we don't know. And we can spend forever, and I have seen people write doctoral dissertations and, you know, spend literally their entire lives chasing answers to this. And I think it's one of the, the saddest wastes I've ever seen because we don't know. We're not meant to know. It is symbolic. Most of this book is symbolic. symbolic of Satan. Or, no, in this case, he's symbolic of those who follow Satan and Satan then gives power to. And they seem godlike because the, the world worships this thing. Oh, it's pretty big. It's got seven heads in it. Well, I'll grant it's kind of cool looking, but, you know, no, it's a there's a difference between looking at it and going, whoa, and worship. And they worship this thing. It was also, I'm sorry? So it's not symbolizing like seven heads or like. Well, again. I can show you libraries going into all of that. Um, I would say there are generic, one, one of the questions I've asked, and I'm sorry, I'm mixing up the study guides now because I'm like all the way through the, the book study guides. But one of the questions is list all of the uh, numerology things. That's actually going to be on a couple of your study guides. Well, anytime you see seven, 
It's a symbol. Okay, so what's it a symbol of? Complete. A complete monster. Yeah, and that's, well, that's the point. It's a complete monster, but it is a monster. And to humanity, it's dangerous, it's evil. Pardon? Yes, and and that's part of the blasphemy. Yeah, um, when when you read those things, completion, perfection, holiness, it is not always all three. Oh yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah, so in this case, certainly completion, and the same with the ten, and then the 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 things on them, the diadems and the blasphemies. Okay, verse seven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Oh, did you hear that? To overcome them and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. And if anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. So, now by the way, if you follow the story, did everyone on earth worship? No. So everyone is hyperbole. Again, it, the book is full of figures. So if you try to take everything literally, you'll tie yourself in knots and the book. The beast from the earth, according to New American Standard, it begins in verse 11. And then I saw another beast. The last one was the beast from the sea. And that's, again, this is symbolic. There's three places. Well, there's the three, you know, levels. But there's also the, the earth, the sea, and the air. And the air ultimately is heaven. So then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. And by the way, the dragon is who? So this is as a dragon, but there's no question the symbolism points you right back to Satan. He exercises all of the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that even so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth and in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform, uh, excuse me, to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free men and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. And here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. I love it. It's spelled out.
Now, by the way, for those who love to say that, for example, the chip technology today, that's, that's the mark. They're trying to do it. If you take this literally, which you have to do in order to say that the chip is that, then you just ran into a serious problem. Because look at all the stuff that just happened before the mark. Can you really believe that that describes Earth now? What we've experienced? Um, lightning? But not, not the way they're talking about. The beasts? You know, these, these are horrific. These are all the people worshiping. This, is, this, is, this isn't something that's happening in the corner. You guys don't understand what's going on in Afghanistan today is fulfilling this. No, it's not. This is the whole earth. Not some corner that nobody knows about. So this is why you've got so many different versions when you try to make it literal. And every 20 years it has to be rewritten. Because, whoops, we just outlasted it. Well, this is earlier, I don't know, chapter 4 or 5, it talked about a third of the earth was this, a third of the earth was that. This is after all that. Is still what's only left after all that? Western. Everything is chronological and accurate mm -hmm. to our understanding of chronology. Okay. Eastern. Not so much. So when we read the Old Testament, the history books. Are we truly reading chronology from point A to point B, the way we think of it? Or are we reading historical themes? Accurate and not misrepresenting anything. That's what they intended it to mean. If you take it the first way, good luck with that, because you're going to have problems. But if you take it the second way, which is what every literary scholar agrees is the way they would have written it then it makes perfect sense. The only thing it doesn't do is agree with our insistence on the technology of it, if you will. It's probably not the right word, but you know, the, the, the chronology, for example, must be from the beginning to the end. There's no doubling back and reinforcing its A through Z period. Most cultures on the planet don't think that way. At least they didn't until we started basing technology on that. And now, technology, because every culture has technology, now you have people who don't think that way, and yet they do with the technology. And by the way, uh, serious rabbit trail, so we've got to be careful. I'm just going to state it and then go on, and you guys can all sit and scream at me. Um, guess what? Millennials. Right? Millennials are exactly that. And by the way, so is the baby boom at the beginning. That was us. We were about stories. We were about the themes. We weren't about... We, we hated that. It stood for everything we hated. Except now we're doing it. Whoops. It seems like it's the only way that we know how to measure progress. Um, uh, yeah, or lack thereof, I suppose. But it's only because that's the only way we think of reality. Well, I guess what I'm saying is we think of progress.
as 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 a step by step moving forward rather than discovery of all of that. Well, we we think of that, but we think of it because of the way we think of life itself, of existence itself. And all I'm saying, I'm I'm not I'm not even trying to say the other way's better. Just saying it is. It's, there are people who still think that way, still write that way. And we look at it and we say they're stupid or they're dishonest. No. We're not thinking because we're not willing to admit that everyone's not like us. And that's kind of a Western thing. Now, by the way, I'm quite sure there are Easterners who have the same problem. But it's not my problem, because I don't think that way, so I don't need to repent of thinking that way. I'm stuck over here in this model. Is that making sense? So we just got to be careful of that. And you have Western thinking people who are in the East and Eastern thinking people who are here. Yes. Yes. Well, you don't even need to do that, because we've got the internet. So, all right. So now we're at 14. We're just surging ahead. And then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion. Zion is what? The literal Zion. What is Zion? No, no, no. Exactly the opposite spiritually. That's Sinai. Zion. Hint, it's not near the mountain that Sinai is. It's a hill. No, no, no. Mount Zion, the literal Mount Zion. It's not new, it's just, it's not even Jerusalem. It is the section of Jerusalem that the temple is built on. Okay? So when you read Zion, any Jew and any Christian from this time, any, frankly, any Jew or any Christian who understands Scripture, is going to immediately think temple. Because that's Zion. And uh, we, we saw this in Romans that it became a figure for the, uh, the crucifixion, the sacrifice, because that's where the temple was. Okay? Okay. So, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. It's okay to have name on your forehead. It's just make sure it's the right one. And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters and the sound of loud thunder. Waters, thunder. Have you ever been around a flood? I mean a big flood, like a, a, a flash flood. It sounds like thunder. It's, it's roaring. It's like a giant freight train. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. How do you feel about that, ladies? You are a defilement. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been purchased from among men as firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And no lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. Okay? So you can wrestle with that all day long and try to figure out how to make that, again, a very literal thing, which contradicts all sorts of Scripture. Or you can understand the spiritual meaning, which is what it's intended to give. Um, even to the point they have not defiled themselves with women. 
Do you see yourselves, ladies, as defilement? I suppose I shouldn't have asked that question, because if you do, then I'm not sure you really ought to, you know, not set up for therapy right now. But the bottom line is, A, this was, all these societies were patriarchal. Um, in a way, because babies are ultimately innocent in our minds. But the, the point of the defilement is these are people who are wholly committed to who? To Jesus, to the Lamb. This is, by the way, one of the passages that you might see some of those who teach celibacy in the Roman church referring to. Most don't, by the way. Most realize that they've imposed it on themselves. But I've heard that. And by the way, did you hear where we get harps for little angels? What are they playing? Well, it's about the only place you're going to see that. That's where the concept of the harp playing in, in heaven comes from. Yeah, we can do weird things with doctrines that get then accepted over the, the hundreds of years and everybody assumes them as though they're fact. But, what? Yeah. Don't give it away. We might do that again this Christmas. Okay. And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth. And every nation and tribe and tongue and people and he said with a loud voice, fear God. Uh, fear, by the way, strike, be, be down in terror. Is that what it means? Yeah, fear, but, uh, this is phobos, foveo, uh, the, ver the verb form, or there is a Hebrew word for this, which you're going to see in the study guides from Sunday morning. And they, they have the range. It can mean fear, terror, but it also means respect, reverence, even awe in a very positive sense. So those of us who worship God, by doing so, are exhibiting this, but in a positive way. And unfortunately, the word <laughs> means all of those, and you have to let context decide. Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and springs of water. And another angel, a second one, followed, saying, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the great, she who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Babylon. What, what does Babylon conjure for you? One word. One word. What? I can't hear you. I'm sorry. Wasn't Babylon wrong? No. Babylon was Babylon. I mean, the literal Babylon. That's the source of the meaning of the symbol. No, Babylon was a city. Okay, captivity, but that evil, sin, um, immorality, any words like that. Babylon was the word to describe the worst sin you could think. Way worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. For the, for the simple reason, by the way, that Babylon conquered Judah. So, of course they're worse, <laughs> because they were enemies. Sodom and Gomorrah are these people in, in the dust of history, but this is, this is current to them. 
Babylon was an actual city um, located, we believe, very much where, um, oh, come on, capital of Iraq, Baghdad, where Baghdad is today. Which, by the way, ahead of the Babylonian Empire was also the head of the Assyrian Empire. The Babylonians conquered the Assyrians. So then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives the mark on his forehead and his hand, he will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. The smoke of their torment, fire, brimstone, they're being tortured with flame. That produces smoke. They all knew this. They had sacrificial systems. So you, you burn the, the, the meat. We smell charred flesh and everybody freaks out. Because you don't burn meat, right? They burned the meat. It was an offering to God. And so now it's, it's judgment. And that, that harsh smell that you get, that stench, that's them burning. How long? Eternal. It, it doesn't stop. Fire, by the way, is a symbol of pain. Anybody who's been burned knows the, the nerve endings that are damaged by a burn heal very slowly. So you feel that long after the burn. The pain simply seems to not stop. And this is that taken to the extreme. They have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. You recognize that phrase, by the way? So this is obviously um, a statement that is not just a comment here and there. Um, perseverance can be patience, but it, it means the, the, the living under, because they've lived under all of this evil and all of this torture from the beast and the dragon and the world and they remained faithful so this is the result of that and I heard a voice from heaven saying right blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on yes says the spirit so that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow with them now who's reading this by the way remember who's going to read this don't say us this is not about us and, and so what did that mean to them? Blessed are the dead who die faithful to Christ. They're seeing it happen. There's a really good chance they read this and that happens to them next week. Well, yeah, they did all sorts of things to them. Sometimes, many times, actually, they simply killed them. I mean, they, they did all the, the things that you're describing um, were done to make a statement to try to terrorize the others because they didn't really want to go to the trouble of doing that. They wanted them to simply worship the, the emperor and fall in line. And by the way, anyone who did was called a lapsi, those who lapsed, and this is for centuries, 
um, by the Romans. Lopsy is Latin. And they were fine as far as the Romans were concerned. No more problems. We're good. It's the ones who wouldn't do that. The ones who persevered. Then I looked and behold a white cloud and sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man having golden having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Sickle is what? Harvesting. So, you know, we, we tend to see sickle because, you know, we have giant columbines. Um, or, yeah, columbines. We, we see a sickle as uh, a symbolic thing today, and this is where the symbol came from. Because it is harvesting, but it's harvesting a different crop. Another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. And then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. And another angel, the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar, and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle. Gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth, threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city. And now here's where you know that the grapes are not real grapes. And blood came out of, from the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. Uh, somebody would like to do the math later, uh, you'll find that's a whole lot of people. People. Grapes don't have blood. And then I saw another sign. By the way, uh, pressure. Remember, philipsis is a torture. Pressure, remaining under pressure. And now you have the image of the punishment <coughs> being pressure squeezed to the point where their blood seeps out and fills everywhere within hundreds of miles. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. That is pure praise. After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple, clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chest with golden sashes. So they are pure, and they are powerful, gold sashes. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. The temple is what? What is the earthly temple a figure of? 
what we call heaven. So whenever you see now this, this phrase, temple came out of the temple, think heaven. They're coming out with the authority of God. They're coming out as angels, messengers, with the, the mission of God. By the way, um, the Song of Moses. Moses represented what? The law. Much bigger than the tent, but yes, the law. So now we have the Song of Moses and the Lamb. See? Read Hebrews, read Romans. There is a unity. One was to lead to the other. It's not one or the other. Okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to, in the last few minutes, surge forth. If there's questions, let's, I'll either hang around after or we'll get them next week. But I will get to the end of this so that we can at least get on to a different study guide. And then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So we've heard this progression. We've seen Satan having his time. We've seen the, the lamb. And now we're seeing the judgment. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man. And every living thing in the sea died. Blood like a dead man, by the way, is rotten. It is not life-giving. <laughs> then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you who are and who were, O holy one, because you judged these things. For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. That word deserve interesting word. We'll get to it if we have time after, or if you want to hang around. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. The altar said that. Do you remember earlier who's under the altar? Which ones? Yeah, the, the ones who have been killed for their faith. Calling out, how long, O God? Yes, they say. The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given, into, given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. That's an interesting thing, because you have, as a side note, they could still repent, but they didn't. And then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened. And they gnawed their tongues because of pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. And they did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl in the great river, the Euphrates. And its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. The Euphrates, by the way, was hundreds and hundreds of miles to the east from where these people were. But everybody knew of the ancient kingdoms centered over the Euphrates. Because you had Assyria, you had Babylon, and Persia then comes to the west and has a center of power in what we would call uh, Mesopotamia, the, the, the valley of the Tigris and the Euphrates together. So Euphrates was a, a very ancient and, and major symbol to them. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. 
for their spirits of demons performing signs which go to the kings go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty behold I am coming like a thief blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame in other words be ready that's that's a theme that Jesus began 60 years earlier 65 years earlier to teach his people and they gathered them together to place place which in Hebrew is called Har Mageddon and Har Mageddon means the mountain of Megiddo Megiddo is the valley it is a, a, a very fertile valley um, in Israel Palestine and it is also the, the pathway if you will to Syria and beyond and this is why Israel was such a, a major battlefield for millennia because it was the path from East to Middle East to, uh, to West and then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying it's done Does that remind you of anything yes not well it's, it's not just amen this is what Jesus said it is accomplished it is finished and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and there was a great earthquake such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth so great an earthquake was it and so mighty the great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath fierce wrath that's hard to say very quickly and every island fled away and the mountains were not found and huge hailstones about 100 pounds each came down from heaven upon men and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail because its plague was extremely severe now you have come to the end of 16 17 picks up with wrapping up the doom the judgment and everybody has does everybody have that study guide okay 17 to 21 8 Everybody has that? Okay. If you have done that, even though we're, we're following a week behind, if you would like the next one, I, I already have sent it because I keep forgetting to do that until someone reminds me. So here is the hard copy of 21.9 through 22.5. Pass these around if you want them. Okay. So we are uh, four minutes over. I apologize for that, but I did indeed press through, and I will claim that I actually stopped a minute ago, so only three minutes over. That's so much better, right? What? Uh, yes, because one of you did indeed remind me, and I apologize because it was a week behind. I was supposed to have emailed the one I gave you last week, and I didn't. So today I emailed last week's and this one. We are now caught up. Okay, I am turning off the recording so you may now say things that you don't mind other people hearing.